0: I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who stuck around for my Black American Folklore series. To me, that represented a lot of time, energy, and a little bit more work that could have been done, but anyway. At the very least, I hope you were inspired to look into our folklore a little bit deeper. Anyway. This week, um ahead of elections, I'm going to talk about Erica Badu's New America Part 1. So, as I said, election day is Tuesday. Um, just a few measly days away from the point of this recording. Um, and me and the hubby made it out to the polls early this go round. Last time, the election day line was horrible in my precinct. Um So anyway, we're ahead of the game, so using this opportunity to get, you know, get our friends and family out to vote, and you should do the same. Um, Here in Maryland, uh, there are a few races that are pretty important for us. There are some, you know, council seats and representatives and senators on the state side and the congressional side that are important to us, but the biggest race that we're focused on is the race for uh, governor, and, you know, NAACP is headquartered here in Baltimore. And so the former head of the NAACP, Ben Jealous, is running for governor here. Um, And he's running against the uh, current uh, governor, which is Larry Hogan. And one of the largest newspapers in the state, the Baltimore Sun, has already thrown its support behind Hogan. Um, And it goes into detail. It, It certainly lists why. It's just... You know, if you're anything like me, um, you can name the things that Hogan has done outside of Baltimore and in D.C. specifically. There's a one project in particular I can think of. But I really can't point to many things, if any, that he's done for Baltimore. And even if you're not in you're living in Maryland, but you're not in the Baltimore area, you know, let's say you're on the eastern shore. You got to ask yourself, what has Hogan done for the eastern shore? Everybody is familiar with you know the how hard the crabbing industry uh, was hit um, thanks to a lot of the current president's policies and many of those Hogan supported so anyway, you, you really have to ask yourself at the end of the day, what has Hogan done for your area and should he get four more years to do the same or not? Anyway, um, there are also some interesting governor races across the country too. Um, two of them that I'm mostly thinking of, um, is Stacey Abrams in Georgia and Andrew Gilliam in, or Gillum in Florida. Um, and though there are a few, um, tight congressional races, one, the one race that I'm paying attention to, uh, in particular is the Beto O'Rourke, um, race against Ted Cruz, um, in Texas. So if you're listening from any of those states or you have family living in any of those states, um, those races are really close. So encourage your people to get out and vote. Um, We should all be encouraging all of our friends and family to get out and vote. But in those uh, places, those races are pretty particular and could positively um, have a huge impact on those places um, should these folks um, get elected. Anyway... Um so this whole season, you know, why am I talking about uh, Erica Badu's New America Part 1? To me, this season kind of brings that album into focus for me. Um you know, it's commentary on the US at the time. Um certainly what it meant to me at that point in my life um and you know, kind of where music was at the time and and where Erica fit into it. And also it has some themes that don't really resonate now, or maybe they didn't really, they don't really hold up now, but nevertheless, the album itself is pretty inspiring to me still. And, you know, I just want to talk about some key aspects about it. Also giving some background on, you know, the state of the U S at the time of its release. So let's share a quick snapshot of the U.S. in 2008. And I'll do so through the prism of police relations and the political climate. So first up is police relations. Now, black folks have always had a complicated relationship with the police. I can think of several biographies, major stories and news articles. shoot over the last decade, two decades, probably longer than actually three or four, um, where black folks have either died during an altercation with police, um, or in police custody. Um, many of the altercations that, uh, folks have black folks have died in, they were unarmed, Um, And some of those interactions, they were disarmed, or at the very least, they were detained at the moment that they were, uh, their lives were taken. And so, you know, black folks have always had a complicated relationship with police. I can remember... You know, being young and in class and saying, you know, you know, you can wave to a police officer, let them know you're okay, and give a police officer a high five. They're your friend. But then I also remember, like most of us, uh, my dad giving one of my brothers the talk and not about sex, but about how to act if police officers stop you for any reason. Now, what we know now is there is no right way to act if a poorly trained officer with an itchy trigger finger or a pinch off of violence stops you. Um, but we, it's just, things are different now. They're different now than they were in 2008. Now the onus is not primarily on the person who's being stopped. It's on the police officer who ultimately has the power and the interaction. And so, um, you know, again, there were plenty of high profile cases of unarmed black folks dying at the hands of police, um, But, you know, like the 14-year-old Deonta, and uh, forgive me if I'm I'm butchering these names. I'm really doing my best. I didn't get a chance to hear some of these names in audio. Uh, Deonta Terrell, Terrell Farrow, who was shot and killed by a police officer who thought his toy gun was a real one in 2006. And I can remember the uproar about why was the kid's kid walking around with a toy gun outside? Okay, well, if you ask that, then you can also ask the question, why the heck was a toy gun even being manufactured in 2006 or at any time? Like, again, one of those things where it's like the onus is supposed to be on this 14-year-old kid instead of this grown adult who took this kid's life. Or Oscar Grant, who was killed while laying face down by Johannes Johannes who. Who said that Oscar Grant was resisting arrest on a train platform in two thousand eight or two thousand nine? Now, what we know is again uh Oscar Grant was detained on the platform, laying face down, and the guy shot him anyhow, I did find an article um in two thousand and eight about a uh, young woman who lost her life at the end uh, at the hands of police. And I'm I'm kind of bringing this out because, you know, now we hear about these negative interactions more often than we would in the past. About the only time that we would hear about them if there was a huge stink made about them through local media. And yeah, basically local media and then the cable networks picking up that local media story. Now we have... Twitter and and other social media platforms where the minute this negative interaction happens, this, this, someone's life is taken and there's an injustice. We can put that on Facebook, put it on Twitter and it goes viral and we can, I mean, think of, shoot, that's exactly how uh, Freddie Gray went for us. Um, here, a bunch of folks. I got. I, rem- I can remember seeing the Facebook post um, that was forwarded to me, and I can remember one of my church members, um, around my age, talking about one of her loved ones who died um, while in police custody, and just lamenting, "Here it goes again." You know, in that moment, I think they they you know the city settled with the family, but her main point was, "See, here it goes again. We got one more. This is one more." one more thing that's happening that has happened several times and we're not gonna let this time we're not gonna let it just slide so anyway social media is a huge factor then or now more than it ever was um so anyway in 2008 i know there were more negative interactions with police especially those that ended in the lives either being altered or taken by police officers it's just they weren't reported on like they are now, but I was able to find an article about an unarmed person losing their life at the hands of the police in 2008. 26 um, year old Tarika Wilson was killed by Lima, Ohio SWAT member, um, Joseph Chevalia, who opened fire on her while serving a warrant for her boyfriend. Her infant son was wounded in the process. While Tariqa's brother and other loved ones protested her death by Chevalier, the story made national news. Again, largely because of the protests. Um, and, uh, you know, the officer ultimately went to court on both negligent homicide and negligent assault charges. But the officer was acquitted on both charges and the city settled with the family for $2.5 million in a wrongful death suit. So, you know... Police officers being acquitted of crimes, these crimes, is nothing new either. This has been happening for decades, um, and the police have been settling for decades. And I'm not saying that, again, I'm anti-police or, or anything like that. What I am saying is I'm pro-justice, and life is too precious just for it to be settled away with a few dollars. Yeah, $2.5 million is a whole lot, but that's not Tarika that doesn't represent Tariqa or that settlement doesn't represent, you know, Oscar Brown's family or what's that young man's name? Sean Bell, who died on his wedding night, um, at the hands of police officers. He had like four or five, um, uh, wounds to him. Anyhow, um, yeah. So that was kind of, that was for the most part, the political climate at the time. So, We weren't quite as a community ignited the way we were following Ferguson and um, New York and Baltimore and Ohio and Louisiana, and the list keeps going, doesn't it? Um, But we weren't ignited then like we are now. But nevertheless, we were lamenting the loss of these lives in this very tragic and preventable way. And so again, so that's our state of police and, you know, Badu talks about that. Um she definitely puts that in to her album and and yeah, we'll go over that in a second. So let's switch to the political climate. So 2008 was the second year of Barack Obama's uh President Barack Obama's uh presidency, and the country was arguably in the second month of the period known as the Great Recession. Um now when I looked this up, it was Arguably, the time period is December 2007 through June 2009. Um, And the recession was caused by the financial crisis of 2008. You remember that, right? Banks gave out massive loans for houses to people who could not afford to pay those loans back. And there came a point where the banks were left owning all of these houses because they foreclosed on these people who just you know, just walked away. They couldn't afford those mortgages. They were upside down in their mortgage payment, meaning they they owed more than the house was worth. They were never going to get the value back out of the house that they put into that loan. So they just walked away. And so here, you, here these houses are holding these bags, making it seem like they didn't pack those bags themselves. Anyway, um, so they had all of these houses. They had all this property and inventory that they couldn't move because people either couldn't afford they didn't have the credit to get a good loan to be able to buy these houses or they didn't want to because they didn't want to be stuck um in this economy with houses um and you know this in this time frame this was like the boom of flip flipping houses you remember all those shows on HGTV flip my house or flip that house or whatever there was like three shows i think at one point on uh on cable That was talking about people buying, it just showed people buying houses, renovating them, and then trying to sell them for more than what they put, they bought, bought it for and paid to renovate it. Well, when that, you know, whole circus came into town, that kind of stopped. And so again, all these, all these banks were left holding all these houses um, and having all this inventory that they couldn't move. Um, and things got so bad and the negative impact of the housing crisis was so far reaching that Congress passed legislation to give debt relief to banks like Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase and car manufacturers like General Motors and Chrysler. Now, don't get me to lying about how GM and Chrysler fit into this, con- this scheme. The only way I can think is they held you know, they had holdings in real estate companies and things like that. Um, but you are more than welcome to Google, um, go on to propublica.com specifically propublica.org or projects.propublica.org backslash bailout backslash list to learn who got bailout money. And then also just to take a step back, just Google, you know, what led to the housing crisis and why GM and why Chrysler were involved in the bailout in the first place. And anyway, Badu's album also talked about this. Now, you can argue how well Badu's uh, New America Part One talked about the state of uh, police relations in the country, the state of the political climate in the country. We could argue that until the cows come home. they are different takes on that. I'm sure, you know, as we go a little further in this episode, I certainly talk about what I think about um, her statement on that. Um, but nevertheless, to me, it was pretty powerful because, you know, she took this opportunity to use her talent to say something. Do you like it? That's up to you. So the state of music in 2008, I would say, wasn't super reflective of what was going on at the time. If anything, it seemed like it was trying to uplift the community because of what was going on at the time. And, you know, you can make an argument that art is supposed to do that. It's supposed to take you out of your situation, not be a reflection of your situation. But then there's also a school of thought that I believe, you know, Erica subscribed to and so many other rappers, so many rappers and other musicians subscribe to, which is, you know, art really ought to tell you about what's going on right now and, and help you to think about it in a different way. Either way, um, you know, I just want to reflect for a second about the state of the music world um, in 2008 and then just where Erica Badu was in her life at 2008. So, first up is the music world. So, to give you an idea of what the musical landscape looked like in 2008, or to remind you, again, if you're grown like me, I'll give you a snapshot of Billboard's top four songs on their top 100 songs of 2008 list. So, coming in at number four is Lil Wayne's Lollipop. You know the one with um, the silly but catchy hook where he actually sang. actually sang on a couple of them, but... That one was kind of weird for me. Anyway, um, at number three was Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys's "No One." Um, if you know anything about me, you know that I do not like most of Alicia's songs because I genuinely think she plays better than she sings. Call me a hater if you want to. I don't care. That's what I think. At number two was Leona Lewis's. I think that's how you say her name um bleeding love now i believe that woman can sing but if your name isn't mariah carey please leave those breathy whistle tones to the grown-ups all right so what if mariah misses every once in a while her catalog speaks for itself moving on number one was flow riders low gross I loathed that song. I do to this day. How in the world the rapper with the most unoriginal, unimaginative rap name could have the number one song of the year is beyond me. Still, I can't deny how catchy the song was and how I heard that song everywhere in 2008 in movies, in the grocery store, at, uh, and I think I was in the um, elevator one time in a building and I heard like some jazz version of it. You know how they do. Anyway, you know what surprised me though, about this list? Beyonce was nowhere on it, which is strange to me because I'm not a super fan or anything like that, but I really thought she was out there doing her thing in 2008. She is not in the top five or the top 10. She didn't even make the list at all on the top 100. It's interesting. Anyway, the musical landscape at the time was very pop and party. Again, going back to that argument, music is supposed to uplift and take you out of your circumstance, not necessarily keep you in it. Um, But Badu's uh, New America burst onto the scene with a... Kind of dark and thought provoking essay on the state of the u s and black America and self discovery itself, so there was a party bop on there um honey and i 'll say a few words about honey in a little bit, but for the most part, there were no party bops. It was just reflective tunes and somber at times and angry at other points and accusatory at other points um, and there was a little bit of Badu defending herself in ways too. You know, um, but yeah, it's just overall, it was a reflection of the US and Black America specifically. Now, Badu's life at the time um, was interesting. She had just come off of a creative hi- uh, hiatus unsatisfied with the quality of her 2003 album Worldwide Underground, which by the way was my jam. I loved so much about that, but she was unsatisfied with it. um, Partly because she didn't appreciate the title of being, you know, like a neo soul queen because she found it limiting um, that she wouldn't be able to do other types of music and experiment with other sounds. And you know, for her, it was, she felt it was too much pressure. Um So she took a break Um and basically just spent time raising her kids and just being. And I read an article um that said, you know, she would still sing and dance and things with the kids around the table, but it wasn't, I think it was her son Puma who introduced her to um, making like the, the, the online, not online, that's not the right term. The, um, like the music programs where you could make songs and beats and things like that. Um, her son put her on to that. And so, you know, producers at this time during her hiatus were, you know, always trying to court her back, but it wasn't until these last couple of years of her hiatus where she felt like you know I'm okay with whatever label you give me I'm fine with that I feel like I have something to say I feel like something is brewing in my mind like I will have something to say and so she began to make music on her own in her home and then slowly but surely she was ready you know um by 2007 to come out and get in the studio and start making making um songs and so i don't think that she coined the term stay woke with this album but she certainly helped bring it to the masses um, through its distribution and the songs that she um certainly the singles but also just the album itself and how it was widely spread across the country and the globe So New America, part one, fourth world war was released February 6th, 2008, and it received critical acclaim. Um, While Rolling Stone and Pitchfork gave it a basically a middle of the road rating. um, I think it was three and three out of five and um, three out of four, respectively. um, Most critics lauded her return to the industry with this album. Um, I was actually shocked by its ratings, but Rolling Stone nearly panned it all together, but could not ignore the obvious grooves, um, the album offered like The Healer, Me, and of course the commercial hit Honey, which again was a bop. And I really loved that video. It was so cute. Um, you know, where she basically played the character. It was like, she was a person, um, in a record store trying to find the very the perfect album and she dressed up like the characters on every album that this person picked up and it was pretty cool anyway <clears throat> so for me the album is pretty heavy and emotionally stirring of the 11 songs that made the album I'm particularly drawn to Twinkle and Telephone which for me were on repeat for quite some time I really loved Honey as I've already said um, for the reasons I said. And I also liked Master Teacher. Uh, excuse me. It was. I just liked how it was arranged. And um, it just spoke to me. I really did like it. But the two songs that hit me hardest. Spoke to me the most. Um, were Telephone and Twinkle. Um, so Twinkle opens up with a gunshot. and what appears to be the end of a a gun battle between police officers and bad guys, I guess. Anyway, um, and they're in some side of sort of enclosed space. So like a house or something. Um, anyway, I'm drawn instantly. Um, I'm drawn in instantly because, you know, my heart starts beating as if I'm on the scene trying to figure out what happened to, um, and she begins to sing about people, seemingly, seemingly young black people, not knowing their language or their gods with the hook, um, singing anonymous, they end up in blood. Um, the song ends with a man speaking what seems to be an ancient Egyptian language. And I think it's known what that language is. I just don't remember what it was called. Um, and then that transitions into kind of an angry monologue and a commentary on the state of America, um, especially the recession. And I'll read it. So I don't have to tell you things aren't good. Everybody knows things aren't good. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. Young punks are running the street and no one knows just what to do. And there's no end in sight or there's no end to it. The dollar buys a penny's worth. Banks are going under coppers keeping a gun under the counter. We sit and watch our idiot boxes while some local anchorman tells us today that we've had 18 murders and 80 violent crimes as if that were the way things were supposed to be. We know times are bad, worse than bad. People are crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going utterly mad. So we never leave our homes. We sit in our comfy abode while the world is getting smaller and we say, Come on, at least leave us alone in our family rooms. Let me have my microwave and my flat screen and my 20 inch wheels and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I don't want you to get angry. Oh, well, no. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. Sorry. I want you to get angry. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write your senator because I don't know what to tell you to tell him. I don't know what to do about the recession and the inflation and the crime in the street. All I know is that you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being, damn it. My life has value. Now, I don't think this poem aged particularly well. There's a lot of um, bootstrapping going on there kind of um shaming for wanting (laughs) nice things or just to you know protect you and yours and just enjoy your life um but the overall sentiment of action and doing something and and not just taking this laying down you know, the passion in it, um, and the anger behind it still holds true. So what we're saying today, you can't not do anything. Don't get yourself overwhelmed. There's only so much you can do. But make sure if there's something that you can do, do it. And so at the time, again, we're in the recession. You know, banks are getting bailouts, but I didn't get a bailout. I mean, we did at some point get money in our bank accounts or returns or something like that. But like, it wasn't like big dollars. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't enough to change your life. It was enough to keep you afloat anyway. So that, that song kind of spoke to me, even if the poem toward the end is a little, a, a touch out of date, even in 2008. Um, telephone on the other hand takes me to another spiritual plane So again, if, um, Twinkle kept me in my moment and allowed me to think about what was going on, um, in a different way, telephone took me out of myself completely. Um, and I think that's because, you know, Erica was in a spiritual place recording that song. Literally, she was in a very reflective spiritual place recording the song. I recently read an, uh, an article that Erica created it while in the studio, following the news of Jay Dilla's death. Apparently, she used a story Dilla's mom retold about a dream he had where then-deceased ODB tried to give him directions home. And in the song, it's quoted, Telephone, you know, like someone saying, Telephone, it's all dirty. He wants to give you directions home. Said it won't be too long. As we know... Dilla passed away from complications with a blood illness. Now, I don't know if Dilla subconsciously knew the end was near or the timing of the dream. You know how, you know how things work. Some of this could be very well be apocryphal, but it's still emotional to me and she used that emotion she felt at the time to kind of take that song to a naturally high plane and for me, you know, that thing took flight. Um, and as sad as the song is, it was a super helpful tool to ground me in a very financially unstable time in my life. And for me, what it meant in, um, in my life at that point in time was pretty simple. So by February, 2008, I had begun an internship in Baltimore and I was barely making ends meet. I had a job for a set period of time. You know how that is. Like it was a year contract, what the heck would you do after that year? There was no guarantee that the place that I was working was going to hire me and they really didn't have a history of hiring interns. So I was kind of like, yep, I was a a few months, I was a month into my contract, but I was already thinking about what the heck was going to happen in 2009, Um, you know, especially with the economy, because I was worried that the poor economy would let, you know, kind of limit my access to new jobs. And so you know that the road to faith can be bumpy and I hadn't quite mastered the wait on the Lord mentality yet. So again, I was panicking, freaking out a little bit, but I was smart enough to realize that I needed to settle down and focus on what really mattered to me. And this album specifically, Telephone, helped me to do that. Um, Telephone represented um, establishing a connection. Again, this is to me, what it meant to me. Telephone represented establishing a connection to your spirituality and a reminder that this world is not the end and to celebrate whenever you can. So, yep, it was absolutely, you know, with the, (laughs) with the benefit of time on my side and, and having read articles from Erica, um, I understand now some of the phrases that she used and, and some of the things that she said. Of course, that song was a tribute to Dilla. She said it was a song to, as a tribute to Dilla. But for me, you know how you hear a song and, you know, without the lyric sheet in front of you or without the benefit of having Shazam, you kind of make up your own lyrics. So it just sounded different to me. She was saying different things to me. It wasn't a tribute to a person, but more so a tribute to an idea. Um, You know, things change, periods change, people transition. There's even a point in the song where she says, transition to a real slow fade. Now, you could say that those are musical instructions to her, um, you know, her fellow musicians in the room. But it's also a metaphor for life changing. Being in a transition, you fade out from one plane and you move into another it could literally be your physical body transitioning away and your spirit is moving to another plane or you know you are emotionally transitioning from one state of being to another and you're moving on to another chapter in your life and that's how I chose to see that song again it's still I love the song for its tribute to Dilla. now knowing what it is but I also still remember it to be and it still remains to be that beacon of hope for me um, in 2008. So by now, you know, I love Erica. Her music helped shape who I am in a way listening to her and other musicians at the point in my life where I was trying to figure out who I wanted to be was crucial and I will always think of her fondly for that even if this album has tones that don't really ring true today or really didn't age well some of those themes um it still is inspiring and powerful to me in so many different ways anyway I have got some good stuff coming up on the next two episodes. It's going to be a two-parter on my genealogy. Yes, I talk about DNA, but not in the way you think. Also, I talk about plantation life, but again, not how you expect. There are definitely going to be some interesting family stories I want to share that you can relate to for better or for worse. Anyway, I really, really hope you like the series. All right that's it for now be sure to send me a message via the anchor.fm app or online and online you can donate that way too um, even 99 cents will be helpful um, to me please also consider leaving a favorable rating for the show on Castbox, anchor.fm, breaker pocket cast, google Cast, apple podcast, spotify or wherever you listen to this show alright I appreciate you